Welcome back, brethren. And it's so good again to be with you as we near the end of this true pastoring series. Today I want to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In this part of our study and our time together, brethren, this is really where the rubber meets the road. I think in these last days, uh, in these perilous times in which we live, the pastor uh, is under so much pressure to bend, so much attack to water down for the sake of unity, so much attack and suggestion to to ease up for the sake of not offending those that might be offended. You know, I, uh, I have sympathy and I have a lot of concern for this church in the last days. And yet Jesus said that he has a remnant, that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, God has always worked, brethren, uh, all the way through the Old Testament um, with rem- a remnant. And um, this series, I think, has sounded an urgent call to pastors of the remnant, to remnant pastors that will stand in these dark and gloomy days, knowing that he can stand fast in the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord, and to stand explicitly on the solid rock of his word. And with that, I just want to today, uh, again, start Second Timothy chapter 3, and it is such an exciting time to be alive because we see the Word of God not only prophetically unfolding itself, but we also see the importance of the pastor that God has has placed before the people in front of him. I'll give you an example. I uh, experienced this myself around six, five, six years ago. Uh, I was surrounded with, I felt a strong uh, board, a strong brethren around me as we were lifting each other up and, and uh, teaching in, in a uh, congregation. And little by little, uh, I was told that I should kind of change things, that I should change a format, that I should do this and then I should do that. And, and, and weird doctrine started coming into the church. And, and uh, the pressure on me was to conform was to go with a different flow than what I knew God had me there for. He had me there to teach the solid word of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet to shepherd and to guide those into understanding and knowing him. And little by little, brethren, that that, uh, association withered away because, thank God, I was brought up and surrounded by men outside of my own church that stood with me, that equipped me, and uh, I thank the Lord Jesus Christ for standing by me and strengthening me in those times of, of trial. I think a lot of pastors today, brethren, buckle under pressure. They are searching to and fro on how to build their church and how to create unity. You know, it's been often said in this new uh, emergent uh, ecumenical movement, uh, doctrine is beginning to wane away to the fact that it's, it's uh, experience and mysticism to gain unity within the church and tolerance. That is not the word of God, brethren. And uh, I think through these studies and as we go on, we will see that. You know, as we went through First Timothy, uh, Titus, and now into Second Timothy, like I've said before, we see the, the urgency as these letters go on. Second Timothy is the last uh, recorded inspirational writings of the Apostle Paul. And we know from, from this 
point on, we see the urgency of him telling Timothy, in the last days, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have people that are going to have a form of godliness, and they're going to deny the power thereof. Paul said earlier uh, to the Corinthian church that it's the kingdom of God is not in word. It's in power. It's, it's, it's power of the risen Christ living within us. And he's saying, Timothy here, that in the last days, this is what's going to happen. Perilous times will come, men will come in, and they will they will forsake doctrinal uh, purity, which changes lives for the sake of experience, mysticism, and 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 they're gonna their own lusts. They're gonna feed by the word of God. These are proof that these men have no power, and of such we are to turn away. And yet we find today, brethren, uh, that we look around the church today, the professing church, and we see just the opposite happening. We see pastors by the droves falling because they feel that they're sole calling is to build unity at whatever cost. My friend, unity is only built in the solid doctrine and teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we sit and we teach him and his word faithfully, as Jeremiah 23 says, that not even the rocks of philosophy, not anything can break it. God's word is unbound. As Paul has said before, even though he was in prison, you know, the word went out and was in power. God says in Isaiah 55 that my word does not return to me void. It will accomplish that for which I sent out. And my prayer today is a thanksgiving and an equipping and a giving of joy and protection to those pastors out there that are teaching the solid word of God, bar none. They are teaching that salvation is only in Jesus Christ, the grace of Christ plus nothing. We are saved by grace and that not ourselves. It is a gift of God. That none should boast. None. Not of good works, not of anything. It's the grace of Christ, crucified and risen on our behalf, that saves. And these epistles, brethren, are so dynamic because it not only spoke as Paul spoke them to Timothy at that time in the first century, but it screams for fulfillment and admonition to us that are living in the 21st century Uh, in these last, last days before the Lord returns. It is exciting. So come with me, and let's just look at a little bit of this. Let's have fellowship together. And again, let's just rejoice that God has called us to a solid calling, to love. You know, Paul says at the end of that 13th chapter, 1 Corinthians, though I have faith to remove all mountains, though I know all prophetic things, though I give my body to be burned, though this and though that, and yet if I have not love, it profits me nothing. Brother, we need to be shepherds of love. Shepherds that dare to speak the word of God in truth. It is against the cultural tide. It is against the spiritual tide. It is against people's uh, you know, pride, but the word of God spoken in love is what's going to save people's souls. It's what's going to lead people to follow the biblical Christ. That, as Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. They don't know the voice of strangers. Let's read in Second Timothy chapter 3 a little bit, brethren. But this, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, 
unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, or unreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In verse 5, it says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And for such people, turn away. Now I just read down the first five verses because I want to, sometimes I want to just sit and I want to think about these last days in which we live. He starts out by saying, know this, that in these last days, perilous times will come. Perilous, hard times, difficult times. Restricting times, times of danger, perilous times. You know, I remember several years ago uh, reading a, a, an account of, of people going down a certain river and hitting whitewater and taking the wrong path of the river and, reading, and running into these perilous uh, rapids. It's, it's dangerous. It's difficult. We as pastors uh, living in this time, we're constantly watching over our flock. We're teaching them, admonishing them. Don't look to the right or to the left. Don't take the fancy uh, things that are going to just, you know, speak to your, your fleshly nature. But I want to I uh, leave you with this for these first few verses, brethren. Paul is not only talking about what the last days will be like, because we see that in the first chapter of Romans. We see that up to Romans chapter 3, what these last days will be like. Men will be just evil. Um, and yet, but in this context, brethren, we see this professing Christian church, this professing religiosity, if you will, of the atmosphere here in this, these last days, claiming to be Christian, claiming to be people of God, and yet... It says in verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And again, I want to remind you what Paul says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians, that the word of God is, is power. Being a Christian is power. It is knowing the risen Christ. It is allowing him to live his life through you. We see that so many times. We also see that Paul saying in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the what? The power of his resurrection. Today, there are so many uh, different religious sects and teaching out here. Simply put, brethren, this is apostasy. Apostasy is leaving revealed truth, leaving the truth of the faith, leaving the the, the do, do doc, does doctrine matter? Yes, it matters. For example, why does it matter that we believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin? Why is that so important? You know, there's so many people out there, and I don't have time to name names, but the documentation is there. It's everywhere. Certain leaders that have come out of these leading seminaries that are teaching our young people now, saying, you know, I don't believe in the virgin birth. I don't believe the virgin birth was real. Uh, we even have a translation of the past instead of in Isaiah 7 talking about a born of a virgin, it would be born of a young maid or born of a young woman. They have done everything to tear that apart. This is just one example. But again, why is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ so important? It is so important for the fact that, that he is God in the flesh. 
And if he was born of natural descent, brethren, he would have inherited a sin nature. Thereby, he could not be our sinless sacrifice come to die for the sin of the world. It is important that we understand and know and take God at his word that Jesus Christ, yes, was born of a virgin. Another example, did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Yes, he is the sinless son of God come to take away the sin of the world. John said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We could trace that back to the Old Testament. Was God pleased if the, if people offered up a blemished lamb? No, we see from early on in the writings of Moses that it had to be a spotless lamb without blemish. That's all that God would accept. Jesus Christ himself on many occasions said that he is without sin. The writer of the Hebrews said he is without sin. Jesus, in the end of his ministry, was telling the religious leaders, which of you can convict me of sin? Is that important? Yes. But you know that is being eroded today because Jesus Christ's deity or being God is being eroded away. Those are just two examples. My point here is, brethren, we need to expose this. We need to watch our congregation. We need to guard from that. You know, the pastor is not just merely a teacher. He is also a watchman, but he is a protector. He is a one that not only shapes doctrine, but he is one that lives as an example and leads people uh, to Jesus Christ. He is an under-shepherd. I want to read uh, back in Ezekiel. There's a very exact, I would admonish you to study and read Ezekiel chapter 33 and chapter 34, for example, and just see a little bit about how God looks at things. Listen to this, this is, uh, Ezekiel 33, verse 6, it says, But if the watchman sees the sword coming, and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes away any person from among them. He is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hands. It is very important that when we see the dangers coming, we admonish. We admonish those that are not only in front of us, but everything we can. You know, another thing that if we look at these, if these chapters, and I'm only bringing this up because the God is very concerned about his people. He, he entrusts us as shepherds, us as pastors, brethren, to those that are placed before us. Very serious. And you know, in chapter 34, we see the imagery of the fact that these shepherds in the first four verses are feeding themselves. You know, they they have mega churches. They're they're for whatever reason they are feeding themselves. They're 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 gaining wealth. They're gaining popularity. They are gaining gaining income and whatever you you want to call it. They're gaining all those things. But yet we also see that one that feeds himself and not the flock. In verse five of chapter thirty four says, "So they were scattered the flock, and because there was no shepherd." They became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. Now I say that because do you know that if the people that God has placed you in front of do not hear the truth and nothing but the truth and the power of it from you, there are 10,000 more voices out there, brethren, that are going to scream to them that are going to say, come here, come here, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you truth. I'll tell you this. 
And I'll tell you that. And I'll, and I'll tell you the right way. And just listen to me. I will give you food. Well, you know, you don't need your Bible. You know, they say, you don't need your Bible. I've been to seminary. You just come and you listen to me. Don't worry about that. I will interpret things for you. Let me remind you what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Remember? When he's talking about false apostles and false uh, teachers, he said, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transformed himself into an angel light. Listen, brethren, therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. Now that's 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen and 15. Know this, that in these last days, brethren, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. I did an exhortation, an article on our website not too long ago, uh, titled, It's Later Than You Think. Research has shown over the last 50 years the incredible fulfillment of that these people will be disobedient to parents is astounding. Today we have delinquency more than all of history combined. We have parents that are not only crying over their children, but do not know what to do. We have people being killed uh, by their children for just the insurance money alone. All these things are happening, and yet the professing Christian church will produce these kind of people because there is no power. There's no power of the risen Christ living within them, and such we are to turn away from these people. We see in the last days so many uh, diversions from the truth of Christianity. Uh, people are throwing their hands up. They don't know where to find fellowship. They don't know what to do because they say that the Word of God is just not there anymore. Brethren, I sympathize with these people. But what are we doing with the people that God has in front of us? Wow. I would love to go on, but I think think we've we've gotten the point. For this sort, verse 6, for this sort are those who creep into households and make gullible captive excuse me, that make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're always gaining knowledge. They're always gaining different, different quote-unquote uh, wisdom. You know, there's a sect out today, um, not only the International House of Prayer, but uh, different movements that basically say that, you know, these 2,000-year-old documents of the Bible, we need re- new revelations we have new apostles. We have new prophets out there that uh, we're getting the revelations and new revelations. For them, we must stand. Um, we have things out like Jesus Calling, for example, by Sarah Young, um, which is absolutely destructive to the body of Christ. Uh, Warren B. Smith has really done a great job in exposing this, based more on experience rather than the Word of God. How do we get to know God? How do we know his character? How do we know what he, how he treats us? How do we know what our salvation is consisting of and how to get it, how to keep it? Or I should say how to relish in being kept. And all these things, God's character is known through his word. Through his word. They creep into homes. 
They come to people that are gullible. They're loaded down with sins. They're always learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, the knowledge of the Christian life is Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ, my friends. You know, we spend so much every year this Christian church on new uh, materials and new things to look at, new study Bibles, new materials that are that are supposed to prepare us and, and give us wisdom. And, and, you know, as I've always said to us, to the things that we have said through not only the True Pastoring series, but elsewhere, that the, the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It takes a life to get through. Paul says, listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, he ends with this. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. As it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. You know how we know of these things? His word. His word. And now we see a huge uh, movement, if you will, of churches being filled with biblically illiterate people. Pews being filled with people that don't even have their Bible. Then, then we introduce, because it's electronic age, forget your Bible, just bring your Bible app. And we'll have everything down. Anything to distract away from the pure uh, word of God. Look at verse 8. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do so also resist the truth. These resisted the truth. Men of corrupt minds depraved and concerning the faith. Let me read that again. Verse 8. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for the folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. Now let me say something. Janus and Jambres were probably music, uh, magicians in Pharaoh's court when Moses was performing his signs. These men could only go so far. They did not have the power that Moses possessed. And their their folly became so apparent as finally when the, when the Hebrews went out and the power of God fell and they, God led them through the Red Sea and so forth, these men were proved folly and fools. But look at carefully again in verse 8 how it says this. The text says, Now Janus and Jambres resisted Moses. So do these also resist the truth. Everything we've talked about in this segment together, they have resisted the truth. These men in this emergent church, in this, in this new spirituality, in this ecumenical movement, these men resist the truth. And they insist that you get with their program or you will perish. Harsh words, my friend. But I think only a little bit of digging and investigation will find out that I've only hit the surface of this. And Paul is saying, Timothy, this is what's going to happen. He says in verse 9, they will progress no further. Here's the heart of, my, my, of our talk this morning, brethren. Look at verse 10. But you, 
but you have carefully followed my doctrine. My manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, verse 11, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Now back in verse 10, when we look at it, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. It is important. Doctrine matters. The Bible would say it's the doctrine of Christ is the crowning title of the New Testament. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul even said, I will go no further than this. I will know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. Paul is fervently telling Timothy, can't you see the fervency in him? He knows his time is short. He says, but you, Timothy, you've carefully followed my doctrine. You know my manner of life. You know my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance. You know my doctrine. You know the way that I live. You know my purpose, my purpose. The chief end of all that we do and all that we are in this life is purpose. We have purpose in this world, brethren. You are called with purpose to be not only an administrator of the truth and nothing but the truth, but a demonstrator of it. Because as these men that, are, that just like Janice and Jambres, their folly will become evident. They are leading people to hell. They're pacifying a burning uh, area in the conscience, but yet they're, they're not feeding with the word of God the soul, and they were leading these people to hell. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says, imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Timothy, I know that you've sat under me. I know that you've carefully followed my doctrine. Because ap- after all, Paul is the apostle the exclusive apostle of the risen Christ to the Gentiles. Paul was converted by Christ on the road. Paul did not learn this stuff from men, but he says, but from Christ himself. You've known, Timothy, my doctrine. You've known my manner of life. You know, if you want to see what kind of manner of life he had, go to uh, Philippians chapter 3. Paul will tell you plainly what his life was like. He was a strict Pharisee. He was circumcised the eighth day. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He, according to the law, doing all the ceremony practices, found blameless. All these things. But he, he was a hater of the church before the Lord seized him. And yet he says, all these things I count but rubbish that I may gain Christ. He had purpose. Faith, his long-suffering, his love, perseverance. Can people say that same thing of you? Because the Apostle Peter Peter promises to the shepherds that there is a crown awaiting us. Can you imagine that? There is a crown awaiting us for those that have been faithful in Christ. Wow. That is an amazing promise. 
we don't have time to get into it now, but it is so wonderful to realize that the Lord Jesus Christ has a special reward to those shepherds, under shepherds, that have carried out their charge with valency, if that's a word, being victorious, not wavering, standing in Jesus Christ. He says in verse 12, he says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Let's go down a little ways. He says, But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and being assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Verse 15, And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in that great Second Timothy 3.16 to say that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, or all Scripture literally is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Wow. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, Peter, as he's talking in his, in his second epistle, has a lot of things to say about how people are to walk. Listen to what he said in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He said, As his divine power, God's divine power, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who call us by his glory and virtue, by which he has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these, the exceeding great and precious promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature. Where do we learn that, brethren? Where do we learn all things that pertain to life and godliness? We learn it through the Word of God, and the Word of God alone, rightly dividing it. Wow. That is powerful. I want to say a few things before we leave, brethren. First of all, my heart goes out and my prayer is that we would be strengthened, that we would be protected, and that we would we'd always stand on a charge that every word of God is pure. And God will put a shield around all of us that place our faith in Him. I want to go back into... Uh, Verse 12, real quick, about the desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know, persecution has always been the lot of the Christian church, not wrath. We are not destined for wrath, but to tame salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Wrath is for, is for an unconverted, Christ-rejecting world. The church has always suffered persecution. And yet Paul says an amazing thing, that if I don't preach you know, the cross of Christ... Then I then then persecution won't, wouldn't be mine. That's a grand paraphrase, by the way. Persecution, Jesus said, the least of all that men would separate you from their company. But beware, brethren, that persecution is going to come from inside the professing Christian church to those that stand strong. I've already quoted you from two people 
uh, in this emergent church that make the bold statement. And if you want to look up these research, I would recommend Lighthouse Trails Research Journal. Uh, it is a, just amazingly uh, accurate and a publication of, of being a true watchman. But this emergent church says, if you don't get with the new program, then you will perish. All that desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, brethren, we will suffer persecution. He says in the next verse, verse 13, evil men and impostors will go from worse to worse, deceived and being deceived. Are these men not deceived? But then he comes right back to Timothy in verse 14, says, but you, just like in verse 10, you, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. Verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and be assured of, be assured of them, knowing from whom you have learned them. And then he goes on to say that in verse 16, again, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. This scripture that's given by, by God, this God-breathed document from God to man, it's a revelation. You know the Bible, as we've said often, is not, not a man's document. It's not man trying to grow from God. It's not man's philosophical idea of God. It's not man uh, you know, thinking what he knows of God. Those scriptures are God's revelation to man, God's love gift in written form to man, just as the Lord Jesus Christ was God's gift in living form in the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified and risen again for our benefit on our behalf. The scriptures says so many times throughout the years, the way you treat the written word of God is the way you treat the Lord Jesus Christ, the living word of God. It is, it is set for all doctrine, for all kinds of reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Listen to this, the last verse, verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Wait, but the new but the new teachers of this emergent church and, and this ecumenical movement will say, wait a minute, man's not complete on these 2,000-year-old documents. Man needs more. No, man is complete by the completed word of God. From Genesis chapter 1 all the way through Revelation chapter 22, we have a complete final word that tells us everything we need to know. And remember, that pertains of everything of life and godliness, the Apostle Peter wrote. Everything. Wow. As I see these times, these perilous times in which we live, and I see the outcome of people and what this profession church is, is going. You know, Jesus... I'll end with this. Had a parable, remember, of the uh, the tares, and how certain good seed was sown, and at night the enemy came in and, and sowed tares, which which when they're growing together look very similar, and sometimes it takes it takes divine uh, illumination, if you will, to tell them apart. But the people said, Master, you want me to go and, and, and uproot all the bad stuff? And he, and he said, no, let them grow together. For whatever reason, we must allow them to grow together, and at the end of the age, they will be separated. Let's get into the Word of God and let the Word of God get into us, not only for our benefit, but for the benefit of those that God has placed before us. I pray for us, brethren, in these last days that we would stay strong, we would stay steadfast, that we would be able to 
tell people to carefully follow our doctrine, which is the doctrine that has been in the Word of God from before time began, that he would follow our manner of life, our purpose. What is our real purpose here? Is it just to gain a name for ourselves? Is it just to occupy our time? Is it a good profession? No, our purpose is that people might be saved, that we might point people to the Lord Jesus Christ and speak his word faithfully and demonstrate it until he returns. Thank you for this time this morning, brethren. I've had a good good, uh, good fellowship with you in the Word. I pray this has been encouraging to you. Uh, and as next, next time when we get into our last chapter, um, we are going to see in, in all these things how Paul leaves Timothy with an urgency to get his life together, to make sure. In other words, in a popular vernacular, decide on what side of the fence you're going to be on and stay there. And we will see that. His last inspired writing of the New Testament the next time we get together. I love you, brethren. Thank you and for being with me and spending this time together. God bless you. I'll see you next time.